You're listening to the Pre-Hospital Care Podcast on the Medics Academy Network. So welcome back to the podcast with myself, Owen Walker. In this session, we're looking at governance within high-performing teams with Pete Sharon. So what I wanted to do is examine the importance of governance and the main facets that constitute robust governance. So this will include looking at why governance is important and the different domains that constitute good governance and finally how it's applied to everyday clinical practice. So I also wanted to look at some of the fundamentals of risk management within governance and the symbiotic relationship between the two. So to do this, I have intensive care and anaesthetic consultant Pete Sharon with me. Welcome to the podcast, Pete. Thanks, Ian. Thanks for having me. So, Pete, if I could just get you to maybe unpack the roles you do now, because you're 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 you've got quite a few roles you're across, and maybe just give a potted history of your your experience. Uh, yeah, sure. Um, so, yeah, my predominant, uh, the main sort of thrust of my work is in and around intensive care at St Thomas's Hospital in London, um, where I have a sort of interest in cardiac and uh, extracorporeal membrane oxygenation, or yeah, ECMO. Um, that yeah, occupies probably 70% of my life. Um, I do some anaesthetic sessions, but uh, I, I would regard myself as maybe more of a part-time anaesthetist, full-time intensivist. Um, yeah, I've been doing that for, been a consultant for five years there. The other aspects of my work above and beyond that is, is around pre-hospital care, which I guess is why I'm here predominantly, but, um, and that's come, I've had the sort of uh, I've been very fortunate over the years um, to work for various organisations, both in Australia and the UK. Uh, and my ongoing involvement has been with uh, Essex and Hearts Air Ambulance Trust, uh, for which I've worked for about five years now, as well, four or five years now as well, uh, as a consultant in sort of pre-hospital care for them, uh, but also one of the three uh, clinical governance leads for them. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's probably the short answer. So that's exactly why I think I wanted to pick your brains really, Pete, was biz, was around sort of the, 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 the role of governance and the central role of governance, because it, it hasn't, I don't think, always been central, but it's very much taken more of a main stage um, in the last few years. And quite rightly so amongst high performing teams, because there's, there's so much in, within governance that we, we're going to unpack out um, around high performing teams and reflection, case study. Uh, review, um, training and education, clinical audits, and, and we'll dig into all of these, which then feed back into high-performing teams. So I suppose my first question really is, as a potted question, what would be, what, what does governance mean to you, Pete? Uh, I mean, certainly for clinical governance is a bit of a journey for me. Um, I think at some point we've all learned some definition of what clinical governance looks like for some interview at some point in our life. And I think the, the journey for me is about the, the issue around, you know, what, what, what is defined as clinical governance and the, the actual reality on the shop floor of what clinical governance is and the interpretation of that. And uh, I don't want to rehash definitions, but um, uh, my concern is in certain organisations, um, I think clinical governance, because of the high profile and, and the sort of necessary requirements around you know, filling your roles around clinical governance and big organisation, um, that it, it has unfortunately, through a mixture of probably workload, large teams, limited resources in, in, in very big organisations, clinical governance has become a very reactive um, process that 
you've got a, a, a nominal lead, you've got, you know, monthly meetings. And I think the, the journey for me uh, is that I, I think clinical governance should transcend that. And as opposed to sort of more reactive process or, or, or structure, it, it's about being uh, proactive uh, and it transcends these meetings and, and nominal leads. It's about, you know, impacting on, on every you know, patient interaction that you have. Um, and it's it, it's probably something around the, the sort of organizational culture that uh, promotes uh, excellence in care at all points and, and clinical governance sort of interfaces with that. Um, so I, I think that's probably how I view it increasingly over time now is that it's, it must be not sort of operating in various silos and domains and, and sort of nominal leads and meetings. It's about, you know, transcending that to, you know, patient care and, and an organisational culture that promotes, you know, the sort of excellence, um, uh, true clinical excellence and, and an environment that, that will flourish in. But, you know, that's all there in the definition. But for me, it's about the, the delivery of that, that I think on occasions can maybe fall a bit short. Yeah, I really agree with that. And one of the uh, ecosystems of, of, of clinical experience that me and you have both experienced is is London Hems. And certainly in the 10 years I was there and the two full times of comments and emeritus, I being in that ecosystem of of clinical excellence and governance, whereby case review is there's something to be learned from every every incident and every job there's there's this you can't discard learning in any sense and, and one of the sort of lenses that i had sort of washed out in my in my mind from from my experience there was that actually you could pick the most simple of cases and still get some seminal learning from from those cases and i'm sure it's been the same for yourself through through your experience uh, that there's been some valuable learning uh, and maybe could you even just speak to that, just just viable learning in, in what other people might think are just rudimentary cases? Uh, absolutely. I think there's, I think, again, it, it just boils back to an organisational culture is that if um, you are so busy with so many plates spinning uh, and so many fires that you're trying to put out left, right and centre, that you're unable to sort of drill into the details of um, learning from case discussions. And, and I have a lot of sympathy for organisations where that is the case. Um, but if you're fortunate enough to work in a sort of smaller team um, and you're able to scrutinize uh, the details and like I said, there's not a baseline, there's not a, a sort of lower end, there's not a level of care that is acceptable. I think it's about that cultural, uh, organizational culture where there's a, the assumption or the default is that there is always opportunity to be better. Um, and sometimes I think there's a view that we just have to tick all the boxes, get the care right in general across the board, and we have to react to incidents that maybe things haven't gone so well. And actually, I think it, it, it's like you said, that diving into the details and the default that you know, no case is ever perfect, no you know, patient interaction is ever perfect, and actually there's always opportunity to um, improve care and, and those, those sort of incremental marginal gains. And I think that's you know what, what like yourself I, i've learned over the years and and if i find myself in those that sort of situation uh, and in that kind of organization i think that's where sort of excellence really flourishes actually 
So Pete, you've you sort of transcended quite a few different high-performing teams in your time, both in Australia and in the UK, uh, and you're involved in sort of high-performing teams both in and out of hospital uh, at the moment. Could you maybe speak to the 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 role of governance in feeding into a high-performing team? Because so we spoke about the detail matters, and I, I'm a firm believer in, in that as well, um, and sort of the reciprocation of of learning retrospectively so unpicking retrospectively cases um into the details and but the consequential decision making as well could you maybe just speak to that over time because you've, you've really marinated through a number of different high performing teams and so probably seen it from uh, quite a few different lenses yeah absolutely i've been very fortunate to work with a number of different teams and individuals uh doctor paramedic and otherwise and i think you know, I probably should have said at the offset that a lot of my views and, and the way in which I view governance is uh, very much been framed by by those interactions and in some ways don't proclaim to be an expert, but, in, you know, sort of I, uh, I guess, stand on the shoulder of, of various giants that I've worked with over the years and various inspirational characters. So uh, a lot of my views will be framed by that. So I don't necessarily pretend to, that they're all my own, but um, I think in and around high performance teams and how governance interfaces with that. And I think that really is a key component to, to clinical governance, to not see it as a standalone uh, cyclical reactive event, but to sort of integrate clinical governance into your day-to-day -day operations and, and how the team are performing is critical. And I think uh, I forget where the quote came from, uh, and I'm probably making a bit of a hash of it, but it's it's not just about sort of, you know, a, a good baseline level of care. Clearly that's important, but it's about the desire as an organization uh, and also individual clinicians to constantly better than you were the day before effectively. It's not, um, it's not just okay to, 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 to do a baseline level of care. It's not just okay, maybe even to be the best uh, in your own eyes. I think it's about the, again, coming back to organizational culture to be better than the day, you know, the day, better than you were the day before, basically. And I think if you get that kind of uh, culture right, then I think that's where the sort of excellence can flourish. And, and that's where, you know, high performing teams really will flourish is that, you know, it's just, there's never except, you know, there's never a feeling that, you know, that job, we nailed it, everything was fine, move on to the next case. And I think it's that constant desire to improve and, and improve the, the care that you deliver. That's really interesting, actually, because I think you and me have probably both seen a case where if 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 the first step forward isn't a vulnerable one, where you're willing to open up to others around your mistakes in the desire to get better, then there can there can be a lot of defensive medicine, which is practiced or advocated. Um, and actually, the, the, a culture, again, it's a, a cultural mindset where they people that are leading case review or D&D &D review um, are also being vulnerable and actually can model that to the to, to the wider team so you can then start to share some of the maybe the deeper or indeed more um more vulnerable aspects of care that you didn't maybe didn't get right and but then we're all on that learning journey rather than trying to maybe showcase the best of care rather than the, the true honest reflection of of what happened and i i definitely see the best case review has occurred when when the leaders are being truly transparent and and that kind of opens the floor would you would you would you advocate the similar is that your to your similar experience 
100%. I couldn't agree with that that point in particular more. I think, again, it comes back to what I was saying at the beginning, that um, I, I, if you see clinical governance as a reactive um, process that, you know, is punitive at times and uh, looks into detail about the you know, negative um, outcomes or, or perceived negative outcomes, then I think it, you're sort of failing at the first hurdle. And I think it's about um, being proactive. It's about taking every opportunity to learn and 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 part of that is culture but part of it's I guess hand in hand with the environment that you cultivate to ensure that people feel um protected safe and able to share things um and and unfortunately you know reading lots of notes and and speaking to people and you know doing that in a remote fashion through email or whatever it is um, you never really get a true flavour of what happened. You get a, a sort of tainted um, view of, of what occurred on, on a particular job, let's say. And you'll never learn or pick out the, the details or the, or the learning points from that if people don't feel safe to come forward and, and, and sort of talk about things that you know, maybe didn't go as well because they, they they won't sort of you know come through from the notes on occasion so it's really about getting the environment right that people feel safe to to bring forward things that that didn't go so well as as an opportunity to further themselves as a clinician but also you know improve the the care that an organization delivers and if you don't get the environment right um people will never come forward and you'll just look at notes and say that you know tick box they looked okay and, and move on sadly yeah, it's a really good point, actually. And I think one of the things we do is is linear scan for for emails and for information. But me and you both know, and anyone who's practiced prospect care knows that there's multiple things happening in unison, albeit human factors, noise, uh, weather, uh, mul multiple clinical need. There's there's lots. There's um, communication issues potentially. Uh, there's lots of issues happening once and and you're right this kind of linear scanning and processing of information on a page or an email doesn't it doesn't give rise to the 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 multivariate um information and environment which is actually happening to you unseen so i think you're, you're right as well the more descriptive and more vulnerable and more honest reflection that can occur starts to really unpack the 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 incident in in its truest nature and truest form uh, and and there that's where i felt learning can occur because as you said it's not a tick box exercise it's actually something which is which is which is full of color full of definition full of honesty and full of reflection uh, which is which is which is hugely hugely useful um, Pete, as we go forward, could you just maybe speak to the domains of, of uh, governance and, and what the main domains are in your mind? Um, I mean, there's, there's, I, I forget exactly the, the various pillars and maybe there's six or seven of them, but um, I, I think uh, they don't necessarily operate in isolation, any one of them. And I think good clinical governance sort of integrates all, all the various domains uh, to, again, ensure that the clinical care delivers of the highest standard. Uh, and constantly evolving and improving, but um, but they clearly are very important uh, components within the various domains. I mean, for me uh, personally, I think it, it really comes down to clinical effectiveness um, and and the quality of care that you deliver at the patient um, coalface. So, you know, all the other bits: audit, research, education, um, risk management, yeah, you know, staff management. All of those things are, are critical, but 
it's how they interface with clinical effectiveness for me at least personally i think maybe a manager or other people would would, would feel differently as to what the sort of most uh, critical uh, domain is but for me it's about the clinical effectiveness and the care we're delivering uh, and then that sort of for me almost sense, sits at the center and, and how the other domains then interface with that is is obviously important as well but but yeah it's it's an artificial construct and uh, I think it has value but but for me it's about how they interface and, and, and blend across the various domains that's uh, important. So let's just dig into that Pete actually and just look at sort of some of the endpoints of practice and decision decision making that you're focused on or, or indeed that you look for within within governance could you maybe speak to some of the sort of meta domains of practice or decision making that that you pick up on whenever you're looking at the clinical effectiveness of a retrospective case um that's a good question um i'll have to sort of think about how i i do my case discussions and, and work through it but i think in some ways, there's always a uh, the, the reason cases come forward quite often is that there is learning that needs to occur or there's a perceived need for learning uh, from the team. So I think a lot of the the way in which a, a case review, uh, whatever that looks like, um, will unfold according to what the sort of yeah educational requirements are or, or what the team perceive as potential. So often I find myself being very much guided by is this, do I need a bit of, you know, confirmation that we did the right thing, you know, to make sure that from a well, you know, well-being perspective, you're not going to dive into the details of what dose of a drug you gave, um, which would potentially have a, a very negative impact on what, what the team will take away from it. And so it's, I think it's identifying the, the needs of the team uh, that are bringing the case forward quite often, um, because address, if you don't address those, they, they, they will just be switching off to everything else that's said. So, I think that's where I, I tend to start with most of them. And I certainly can reflect on occasions in my life where, you know, all I needed was some confirmation that this was the right thing to do. I'm very happy to talk about the details after that, but um, there's a bit of validation or, or whatever else. So I think, yeah, I, I'm frequently guided by the needs of the team more so than what my desire to impose my educational learning points are. So can we just speak to clinical audit for a second and just look at sort of what role audit plays within governance? And and maybe a deeper question might be how you bring audit to life within case review, because you you write you can get a very quite maybe a disenfranchised team or a team which is maybe quite disconnected or maybe not aware of timeframes or spans of penetrating trauma or other, or, other, or other interventions but how do you bring it to life so that it's not only relevant but can act as a baseline for incremental improvement? Uh, yeah sure I, I mean clinical audit for me much like clinical governance it, it's it's what you're what you're trying to get out of uh, is the key thing so where you're starting from is, is the key and getting that right from the offset you know from you know if you if you are looking at it again as you know to go again you know a tick box exercise something that you need to do for your annual appraisal i think you you on a bit of a losing wicket from the offset again but i think if you you know, ingra ingrain sort of clinical audit into practice and, and make sure you're asking the right questions from the offset um that that's the key um and i think how you then go forward from that you know, there's various permutations of what audit looks like to me, um, but but you've got to start from a point of we want to again improve the care we deliver, 
um, and and you need to be asking the right questions from from time naught. You don't you can't be looking at again uh, cyclical sort of tick box exercises. But I think once you've got the question right, um, then it's sort of quite easy sometimes to move forward. I mean. I think audit comes in many forms. Uh, for me, I think in the in the Hems world, it's been very longitudinal audit. We've all been brought up on the sort of longitudinal audit, and I guess our case reviews, death and disability meetings, take that form quite frequently. And there's a huge amount of learning from individual cases that can occur, um, and, and I think that you'd regard that as a sort of core component of what we do in pre-hospital critical care. But increasingly over time the scope I think to learn from individual cases has a bit of a ceiling on it you know I, I'm increasingly coming around to the idea that maybe more horizontal audits uh, as traditionally viewed within the NHS have have a greater role and again I sort of say that yeah, the NHS has been doing horizontal audits for years um, you know everyone has to do one for their appraisal every now and then but again get the question right and, and you know what are we trying to find out about do we need to know more about you know the, the, the cardiovascular code black patient uh, and trying to pick up themes um, across a bigger cohort of patients rather than individual cases and I think we've been very good in the past at looking at uh, learning from individual cases but probably need to get better at learning from a cohort of patients uh, again with the right question being answered at the, at the offset but I think that's probably longitudinal horizontal audits is, is what I view. I think there obviously are requirements around national audits and metrics that have to be um, looked at, uh, you know, whether it be time to RSI from 909 calls, tranexamic acid and all the rest of it. And I regard those as, as, as sort of core as well. But I think, you know, get the question right and then look at more the horizontal audit and themes across a, a broader case series for me uh, has, has a huge amount of value increasingly over time um and i think you know that that all of that you know that that probably stems back from my my default is to always be a, a clinician uh it's about making sure again that we're delivering the best possible care and, and i learn from individual cases and i learn from case series and themes but i get i guess that also has to be complemented when you're looking at an organizational clinical governance perspective you have to make sure that your key metrics are, are being delivered I talked about national audits, but, you know, whatever you define as key clinical domains within your organisation, whether that be traumatic brain injury, you know, the bleeding patient, you know, pre-hospital emergency anaesthesia or whatever else it is. Um, I think those audits need to have some regularity to them and make sure that, you know, as an ongoing quality assurance process that those key metrics are being delivered. But I guess I started with, you know, a clinical, I, I, I always revert back to the, you know, what are the interesting clinical conundrums that I have in my day-to-day -day life and how can I answer those questions through audit but I think those things have to be yeah, complemented by a, a, a rigorous and cyclical audit process around key metrics as well. So actually that quite leads us quite nicely on to the Delphi study which was recently performed um, in the air ambulance service you're working for at the moment um, and just looking at the top five and or top 10 priorities within the within the trust uh, or indeed charity and yeah looking at uh, traumatic brain injury and indeed uh, looking at out of hospital cardiac arrest um, and indeed dispatch I think featured in the top top 10 but certainly in the top five traumatic brain injury was ranked quite highly could you maybe speak to why that 
is such a priority within your line of work and or any, any clinician within pre-hospital care? Um, yeah, I mean, in terms of the sort of key clinical research questions that we have moving forward to sort of inform our five-year strategy, I, I think the, the the questions that came out of that, or, or maybe let me rephrase, the domains that came out of that, I think uh, are pretty clear-cut, and I can understand why that was born out of the Delphi study around traumatic brain injury, hemorrhage, major trauma, out of hospital arrest. Uh, th- these, you know, form a, a, the majority of our workload. I think the details within those domains is what really gets interesting. And I think um, defining what, you know, uh, key research priorities we have in terms of the domains is quite easy. I think what needs to occur within those domains is much more difficult. And I, I don't know, again, coming back to sort of the, the HEMS-centric, solution-focused type individuals that most of us tend to be, is that we, we, we go from A to C and sometimes bypass B, is that we see a problem um, and we have a potential solution that, that can be quite exciting or an innovation that may fit the bill, um, and we bypass some of the due diligence. So trying to sort of explain that better, I, I guess, is that there's so many things that we don't understand and I think the research questions pose you look at traumatic brain injury you look at oh what are we going to do differently how are we going to deliver our anesthetics you know the role of osmotic fluids you know near patient testing you know with some sort of relatively sexy new device or whatever else it is but but for me actually I think you need to go back to basics again actually and I just don't think we understand, you know, the pathophysiology and disease processes very well at times, whether that be about bleeding, whether it be about traumatic brain injury, it doesn't really matter. But I think actually we're not as good as we think we are quite frequently. And uh, I just don't think we understand the diseases very well. So in terms of those domains, easy to define, but in terms of what you do within those, I think is a little bit more difficult. Uh, And as clinicians, we focus on the interventions and what impact they have on patient outcome. But I think any you know, good organization or excellent organization should actually be looking at, you know, can we provide greater sort of awareness or an understanding of pathophysiology around these sort of core domains um, so that we understand better what we're doing. And then you can find a solution uh, working back from that. But we, we tend to sort of bypass uh, B uh, and go straight to C and, and, and have some new innovation. So I think for me, um, the key research questions are the right ones. It's just the question of how we look into it. And it's not just about the pathophysiology, it's about how good are we as, as clinicians? How good are we, you know, our primary surveys? Do we pick up all the injuries? Do we pick up some of the, the subtleties of, of disease behavior? So it's about defining how, you know, the disease trajectory and the pathophysiology, but it's also about our ability to identify those things uh, and then act upon them. So. Yeah, I don't know, roundabout kind of way of saying that, you know, I just don't think we're always as good as we, we think we are. And I think we need to understand before we innovate at times. So could we maybe just shift uh, pace and look at training and education? Uh, we spoke earlier about sort of the the multiple drivers on scene and, you know, how to bring a situation to life. Um, because actually in case review, there's you can you can have a wonderful description of a scene but it's really actually hard to mimic that and then in mimicking it try to mitigate it for future future reference so actually you know i know within the organization you're working and now you've got a, you've got a fully 
functional training suite which is an immersive training suite uh, which starts to really introduce the the noises the the, the sounds the, the the smells the the, the the environmental factors which you would see on scene and quite rightly so because then what you can start to do is put people into a high fidelity situation and teams within a high fidelity situation and pick apart how to how to navigate those situations in in real time could you maybe just speak to the importance of training and education within governance and sort of the bilateral benefits to the patients just as much as to the teams yeah sure you know i mean training and you know is is a huge uh, thing a component of what we do um it, it's quite difficult sometimes to define what training is and again it comes back to people view as you know a moulage and a high fidelity simulation suite as as training but i think it, it's much simpler or certainly much simpler and more complicated than that in many ways is that you know again it's if people feel they don't need training then no training will occur regardless of what you what what you know structures you put in place and what facilities you supply so it's again about sort of embedding that desire to learn and if you get that right um training occurs all the time um it starts at the beginning of secondments through to you know making sure that the, the appropriate structures and processes are in place around standard operating procedures sign-off processes getting the booklets right around what what people need to get from the end of their six weeks or whatever it is um and, and then it, it is complemented by case review uh it's complemented by simulation uh yeah whether it be high fidelity low fidelity but I think as well, uh, it's just that constant proactive training desire, you know, versus the reactive, yeah, intermittent training of a, a lecture and a simulation. So I think it, it transcends that. And I think you need to look at, you know, training should occur every day. And sometimes it's very clear what training looks like, but sometimes it's not so clear. And actually, it's a debrief of a job. It's case review. It's you know, clinical governance days, it's lectures, it's a bit, it's everything. So it's, it's such a huge topic. Um, but again, what people view as training, because they need to sort of, you know, uh, what have I learned from the day is sometimes very different to what training should be, which I think is just a constant iterative learning process around, yeah, taking every opportunity to learn and train uh, from it. Um, and in your mind, is there a value and indeed you does this occur at the moment within your institutions where there is um, not only uh, notes taken, um, sort of minutes taken, which are disseminated, but also potentially uh, near misses and or never events, which which can be disseminated for wider learning? Because it is, you're right, it's, 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 it's there's multiple channels of, of feedback and learning. And like, like you said, there's, there's, there's never one stream of, of training and education, it occurs in, in various ways but is is there is there shared learning corporate learning uh, from an institutional perspective as well as maybe as an individual perspective from a, a moulage yeah i, I it, well very much so i think uh, since well since i've been with ehat now um one of the sort of first things uh, we did was around how we capture learning that occurs within death and disability meetings and and case review meetings um and it's a it's a it's a tricky balance because I think we have to be mindful that although it's fantastic that we're all these you know sponges that want to learn and, and reflect and 
you know, be better and, and, and we sort of wear our heart on our sleeves and share everything and sometimes maybe too much in terms of what went well and, and almost uh, do ourselves disservices on occasion. But we, we need to have one eye on the, uh, the, the wider landscape of reflective learning because um, clearly reflective learning within the NHS uh, has been a, a sort of hot topic of late, um, but has always been on the agenda at some point. And I think it's the way in which you capture and document and you're saying about learning points from death and disability meetings. Um, it's it's the environment is created to share and learn. Uh, and then how you distill that and capture it is, 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 is quite tricky at times. We distribute minutes from all our death and disability meetings, which sort of capture the themes. Uh, and associated sort of interesting reading related to the themes that have come out of that, plus or minus complemented by local research that could perhaps inform practice. Um, so we, we capture minutes of our meetings um, and we certainly the, learn, the generic learning points that occur uh, from those meetings and associated reading is distributed on a weekly basis. Um, but at the same time, just being sensitive to the idea that when things don't go well, um, being reflective and open to the point of being persecutory of yourself um, in, in the wider landscape of, of sort of defensive medicine uh, uh, can certainly take on a, a slightly different, uh, well, certainly external people can look slightly differently on, on reflective learning. So I think whatever you capture and how you capture it is to be mindful of that. But we certainly capture generic learning points of cases uh, related re reading and certainly where there's action points that need to occur off the back of individual cases, they're also captured and, and distributed. And I think that probably was one of the things that we found, uh, certainly in my first few years at EHAT, was something uh, that was hugely valued if people can't be at those individual death and disability meetings, the, the capturing of the themes and related reading uh, for people that weren't there was was hugely appreciated. Um, so I think, yeah, it's not just those meetings occurring, it's how you capture it and distribute um, and the opportunity to learn from every case, even if it's not your own, is, is hugely important. How do you approach risk management as a governance lead? Do you use of a, a risk matrix or indeed a root cause analysis to to any issues that, that occur? And how, how do you sort of disseminate the, the risk management to the rest of the team? I think um, risk, uh, clinical risk, is, is quite an interesting topic. Again, I, uh, working in various organisations, the approach, uh, approach to risk uh, is, is, is quite not variable, but certainly different. Um, and I think, again, it's the sort of we're very fortunate to work in a, a group of you know, motivated people with a, you know, potentially smaller teams, a lot of resource where people are, are constantly talking about near misses, they, the environment is conducive to people talking about things that almost went wrong or, or things that could have gone better. And as a result, when it comes to actual incidents and root cause analysis of you know, uh, SUIs or whatever else, actually uh, relatively fortunate that that happens very infrequently within the, the, the pre-hospital environment that I work within. And I, I guess that is probably born out of the, the culture and the way in which we approach near misses. Uh, and the the open learning culture that hopefully we have but um in terms of how we capture risk when or incidents when things do occur we've got an electronic um i have no conflicts of interest but radar healthcare we use their website where we report all our incidents through that 
whether that be near misses or actual incidents, whether it be aviation, clinical equipment or otherwise. Um, so all events, whether they be low level near misses or, or actual uh, potential patient harm, which like I said, luckily is, is a relatively infrequent occurrence, is all reported through that electronic uh, database. Um, when reports are generated, they are distributed to the entire team uh, via email. Uh, no, obviously all anonymized, no patient details, but the, again, the theme of the event is distributed uh, for awareness um, and as which means that you know any near miss or any actual incident is always very high up on um, uh, well certainly always within the, the the awareness of the team which is good um, when events are reported there is a, a risk matrix of sorts that is generated in terms of frequency and, and patient harm which is then scored and then looked at and I have to sort of give a bit of a shout to Tony Stone at EHAT who basically um, is, a, is a it probably should he should be the one talking about it because he's a uh, the risk and, and radar sort of manager as such uh, and, and does a fantastic job of, of collating all these and, and looking at various trends and also clearly individual cases that need to be delved into a bit more detail but I think we've got the electronic system is fantastic ensures that we have team awareness uh, constantly um, and then how those events are then the event is reported but then how those events are then processed and disseminated back to the crew is also critical and and Tony again does a fantastic job of looking at lower level near misses trends of data uh, and he also emails out through radar again the the learning points from various incidents where it need an actionable cases that so-and-so hospital has now bought a ventilator and this issue is now closed, the equipment has been fixed and that is closed, or whether it be a sort of coalescing various themes that he'll again bring back an email about closing the loop on these themes or individual cases. So it's a it's a constant, risk management is just a constant event almost and, and some, sometimes it's you know coalescing near misses and themes, sometimes it's being reactive to individual cases but it's all captured on a electronic uh, database and in addition to that we can look at how people have you know are people reading these team read files radars how people are so it gives us a bit of oversight on what's occurring within the team and how how much people are sort of closing the loop on some of these these radars uh, i should mention as well that every day at the beginning of every brief there's you know are, are the team all aware of recent radars and team read files so again, that's another way of ensuring on a day-to-day -day basis that operationally people are, are sighted and are cognizant of all the, the various risks that are occurring currently within the organization. So as we come into land on the on the conversation, I was um, I'm just cognizant, like you said, it, governance is 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 almost this behemoth of a subject. Really, it's got multiple domains, and one domain we haven't mentioned really is around information management and information governance. Um, so uh, maybe just before we look at take-home messages, could you maybe just speak to good information governance and what that looks like for you? Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, information governance and the way in which you manage it, it means, again, there is a, a sort of statutory requirement about how you manage your information uh, within an organisation, and clearly that, that's critical. Um, but I think, again, it, for me at least, it, it comes down to that this information shouldn't be held within a sort of protected silo. Um, uh, it's about, you know, everyone being cited on 
issues that are occurring within the organization and, and you need to make sure the uh, informatics right to ensure that that is that is doable but uh, you know reflecting on local sort of process uh, where we work uh, you know i've already touched on the radar which is a key a key component to our information governance and how we capture events but it, it goes beyond that you know we've got uh we're electronic health record in the sense of we use hems base again no conflicts of interest from my perspective but it's a fantastic um way of you know ensuring high quality notes occur in you know a secure fashion with patient details demographics clinical care delivered observations all electronically uploaded from our, our yeah, monitor that we use um and all of that is is sort of you know kept in a secure manner but but equally there it is available to go back and look at as you know part of death and disability processes uh clinical governance days and so on um it doesn't just provide a high quality electronic record it it provides a great opportunity to go back and look at you know the clinical care delivered um look at some of the drop downs the free text we you can really get a lot out of uh, if you get the informatics right and the IT system right, you can really um, capture so much learning from that. So I think as well as ensuring it's you know, kept secure and, and information governance sort of tick boxes is, is delivered, I, I think it, you know, getting the informa you know, informatics right um, means that you can maximise sort of education that can occur from it. Whereas, you know, we know the, the old sort of style paper run sheets, the ability to sort of extract useful information from those at times certainly a long way down the line can be limited and clearly exposes your organization to risk in terms of run sheets going missing and you know being left on scene or so on and so forth so i think yeah, as much as i'm not particularly the most uh, informatics and it savvy individuals i think the value of these various um, databases and platforms that we use whether it be radar hemsbase um, Google Drive for sharing of updates of SOPs and so on. Um, these electronic databases uh, really, um, as well as ensuring confidentiality and all the other uh, important components of information governance, it really is an enabler uh, to improving um, patient care, which is, is clearly what clinical governance, I guess, is all about. So not just about tick boxes, about enabling good quality care. Mm. I agree. I, I think the way we interact and engage with information is key and how, as you were saying before, you see trends within the data and patterns and themes from from either wider data, uh, not necessarily big data, but just um, but but just a cohort of patients. But again, how the representation of that data and, and how we interact and engage with information and how it's represented can also benefit the wider audience as well from like the clinical governance days letting allowing people into the case and into the the trending of that patient but but it was really interesting to 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 get your thoughts on that because absolutely interacting with information and representation of that information fosters what we were saying before around the culture of of uh, of training and education and breeds that healthy healthy assimilation of data because i must I've, I've got to admit to you you know sometimes the crunching the data and crunching the information and the audits seems quite dry and quite um disengaging but actually this can be so much learning cleaved from from seeing the trends seeing the patterns seeing the cohort trends um and having it in a way which is accessible to to multiple uh 
people across across allied health, across different domains of practice um, is hugely valuable. Pete, as we come into land on the conversation, could I just get you to maybe just speak to a few take home messages around governance that you'd like to maybe confer to people listening to this? It's for me, it's about getting the environment and the culture right from the offset. And if you don't get that right, whatever clinical governance that follows on from there uh, will be flawed. Um, so, again, it's about that, that organizational culture for me and moving away from a sort of reactive um, intermittent process to more of a proactive continuous process that you know delivers what what it says on the tin in the terms of you know ensuring that, that you know you're delivering high quality care um, you need to tick all the boxes and you need to look at all the domains that are relevant to clinical governance but for me it's about a continuous process and and making sure that, that the care delivers high quality every occasion that you have a patient interaction and that that stems from yeah getting the culture and the environment right for me um yeah, that's fantastic and a great place to to end and listen what we'll do is we'll put in the show notes the uh, the links to the delphi study that was recently performed by ehat into the top 10 research priorities and uh, that will be accessible in the show notes it just leaves me to say thank you pete for like for, for the last hour it's been hugely insightful for me and uh, yeah thanks for your time well thanks and thanks for having me it's uh, not not one for a podcast normally at least uh, being involved in one listening maybe more so but uh, yeah bit of a learning process for me as well so thanks for having me thanks Pete you're listening to the pre-hospital care podcast on the medics academy network <laughs>